Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2017. This is Chris talking about Step 12. Hi everyone, my name's Chris and I'm an alcoholic. Um, oh, what great speakers. Thank you guys and um, what a great weekend. It's been um, a great opportunity to allow people to do service. And um, when I got sober in, in 1995 on Melbourne Cup Day, um, Melbourne Cup Eve, I rang this woman that I'd met um, and not because I was, I was alcoholic, <laughs> but I knew that she was in recovery and um, about a week earlier, my 15-year-old daughter had said to me, I'm not going to stick around here and watch you die. And she left. Um, oh, it could have been a, a little bit longer, but anyway. And you're going to have to forgive me. I'm not really right here, you know. I'm somewhere else. But um, it's... Yeah, so Carol came to see me and... They used to call her nickname. They nicknamed her Bubbly Carol, because she loved being sober, you know. And she danced around, and and she just had this smile that would light up her face. And I asked her if she wanted a coffee, and I got the milk out of the fridge, and it was it was off. And then I got the other bottle of milk out of the fridge, and it was sour. And then I slipped off the bench because we didn't have chairs in the kitchen so I was sitting on top of the bench and I was so drunk I just slipped off hadn't washed the floor in in like two months and my other daughter was sort of hanging around me as little as possible and and she still came to my house I was drunk when I rang her and she said I'll be there in half an hour and um, and she asked me the question, do you want to stop drinking? And I said, yes. And so she organised for me to go to my first meeting the, the next day, and that was Melbourne Cup Day. And, um, and I was so sick. I was so hungover. For the, first, for the first week, I had to hold the spoon with two hands because my hands were shaking so much I couldn't get the sugar in the in the coffee cup and um, and people would would come up and give me their phone numbers and I had this woman that kept coming to the house and picking me up and and she'd say, you know, I'll pick you up tomorrow and I was sick enough, I'd say yes. And then by four o'clock the next day I thought, oh, I forgot to get a phone number because I really don't want to go tonight. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just not... No, I don't want to go tonight. And then she'd turn up in the driveway and she'd toot the horn and I'd come out and I'd get in the car and we'd go to another meeting. And so someone came to pick me up for ten days and then I was able to, you know, I was sober enough to drive my own car there. And um, and that stayed with me. I still had my licence... So when I'm in Bendigo getting sober and going to meetings every night because I had nothing else to do, you know, all my responsibilities were being taken away from me because my life was taken away from me. And, um, 
I still had a part-time job. I was picking up eggs and shoveling chukchi. And um, I did that three days a week. And I still had one daughter hanging around. And I still had the car that kept breaking down. And I still had the, the fear and the anxiety. And, but I'd go to these meetings and people would ask how I was. And people loved me. And people would say to me, this is how we got well. And I went to steps meetings and I went to discussion meetings and I went to beginners meetings and I, I grabbed whatever was available for me to get well. Because that's what I wanted. I wanted to stop drinking. And, um, and that's what happened. <laughs> and... I did the steps, I did what was suggested, I got a home group, I did all those things. And then people would say to me, oh, I've got so-and-so up the road who's not far from you, can you go and pick her up? And I'd say yes. And I wasn't very much sober, but all I had to do was drive to the place and pick this person up and take them to a meeting. And we'd have a little conversation on the way. And there'd be identification, it's one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic. And... Um, and sometimes I would ask the question, do you want to get sober? Do you want to stop drinking? And sometimes they would say yes. And sometimes they would say, I don't know. Sometimes they say, oh, I'm just having a look. <laughs> but we'd do it anyway. And, um, and there was a real urgency in my recovery. I wanted to change. Because I knew if I kept all this stuff from the past and all this fear and and resentment and remorse and guilt that I was carrying around with me, I wouldn't be happy for very long. And then I found out it wasn't about being happy. Because now I'm finding out the other part of it that I'm being useful. I go through this process and I get to step 12 and somehow I've had this spiritual awakening. (laughs) And I change. I'm a different person than I was just a few short months before. And now I want to really help people. I've got this, you know, and I want to keep it. And how do I keep it? And it tells me in the big book that I need to give it away to keep it. You know, so a few short months later, I've moved to Melbourne and... um, and someone gave me the keys to the Heidelberg Beginners meeting. I'm you know, about nine months sober. And I said yes. And it was such a great experience because now I'm in, a, in, in this big city and I've got, you know, I'm part of a group that, in, you know, that are encouraging people who are, new in, who are new around, who have never heard about the 12 Steps to come to this beginner's meeting. And I'm part of that. And um, and then, you know, I get on a phone roster at, at the Richmond Central Office. You know? And at that time, you know, this is 20 years ago, you know, and that time I'm starting to get calls every weekend. Every weekend I get a call saying, somebody needs help, can you go and pick them up to take them to a meeting? Or can you go and talk to them? Can you ring them up? And then I'd get somebody else to come with me if I needed to go and speak to them at their home. And what an experience. You know, 
I was, when I drank, I was, we were in the house that had the, the flywire screens off the windows and on, on the ground out the front with the, the grass six foot high and the toys everywhere and, and I'd be, you know, running out of the house to go to the pub when the kids were asleep and, you know, doing all those things that alcoholics do <laughs> and finally just going to somebody's house who's in that same sort of situation, you know, in that same desperate state and they want to talk to me because I've got something they haven't got. The difference is I know where that person is. I've been there. And that's why one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic has worked is because I'm not judging them, I'm not trying to analyse anyone. I've lived, I've walked in their shoes. I've had the same mental twists. I've had the similar experiences. And that's what works. And then a few months later, you know, this is all in a very short period of time. So I've had this, you know, revolutionary change. And I have a new way of living and thinking. And then my two daughters are killed. So Wendy and Melissa, at 16 and 17, are dead. And, and it's, it's, it's something that you can't explain or describe, the feeling of the um, emptiness that comes from something so tragic. And, um, and in those first weeks, in that first week, we, you know, had to do stuff. You've got to do stuff. You've got to arrange things and you've got to organise things. And we had to find their father who'd gone bush. And we, you know, there was a lot of things that had to be organised. And I had had this... Um, I was meditating. I had Grant on one side, Nikki on the other. It's my 15-year-old son, my 9-year-old youngest. And I had this... Uh, meditation and I knew that I had no desire to pick up a drink so I knew there'd been a spiritual awakening it had been shown to me you know even in a really huge way you know huge I don't want anyone else to experience the way that I experienced that and um, and then the morning of the funeral and <clears throat> we're in Ivanhoe and we had to go to Bendigo. And this is a really bad day. It's a really sad day. And my, um, my phone rings. I didn't have mobiles back then, but the house phone rings. And there's this girl on there who I'd been sort of picking up and taking to meetings and she drank that week. And so she had no knowledge of what was going on. And... In my head, I could scream and say, don't you know what's happened to me? Haven't you heard? But what came out of my mouth is it's one day at a time. It's okay. I'll organise for you to go to a meeting. It's okay. We'll help you get sober. And that's, wow, where did that come from? That's not, you know, something that would come to me or you know, just organically or 
straight up. You know, there's something there. I've had this spiritual, spiritual awakening and I want to help despite myself. There's something else there. And so I then go ahead and it helped me. I buried my girls with grace and dignity, you know, because it took me out of myself. Helping somebody else stops the selfishness and the self-centeredness and the fear and the dishonesty and the selfishness. It enables me to be better than what I am, to be greater than what I am. And so I get stuck into 12-step work. Man, did I go for it. We... (laughs) We... I think um, there's a big story about it, but we ended up um, being part of a roster for uh, Moreland Hall, which is now current place, Wellington House, and um, and there was Vaucluse Hospital, and and um, I had a list. I had, and of course I've lost, the, you know, I've left it in my bag, but you know there was so many detoxes and so many hospitals that were I was involved in and then prisons, you know, the the Dame Phyllis Frost prison. I used to go there, I used to go to the Port Phillip prison, you know, and to and to do all the rehabs. And you go into <laughs> you go into the room and someone would say, AA's here and go, Oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> you know? Master Chef's on. You know? <laughs> And they're sitting, there's 12 of them or 14 of them, they're sitting there and they're going, oh, yeah, what do you got to offer me? And then you tell your story. Because that's what I'm an expert on. I know my story. I know how I drank, I know where it took me and I know how powerless I was about stopping. And then I have this message because I'm recovered from this deadly disease. And you start seeing them, as you go through your story, you just start seeing the arms uncross, you start sitting, they start leaning forward, they start hearing what you're saying, and then you've got to stop and listen. And that's just been such a foundation for me. And you can do those things, you can get onto rosters and you can... You know, be available, make yourself available. When someone walks into the room of AA and you've never seen them before, go up and say hello. You don't have to save them. Just go up and say hello. You know? I, um, I sponsor a lot of people and, and um, I don't sponsor as many people now. But sponsor, sponsorship isn't something everyone can do. It just isn't. You know, we're all different. We're all different personalities. I'm fortunate I'm one of those people that can. But it's not something, it's not a foundation for my recovery. Service. We all have little bits. We can, know, we can do what we can. And, you know, and we can take it to whatever level that we want to. Because we're allowed to do that. We're allowed to make changes. But that's not the foundation of my recovery. Everyone that is an alcoholic can do 12-step work. Everyone who's got a story, who has an experience, who wants to help somebody, 
can do 12-step work. you just got to be brave. <laughs> yeah? you just got to trust your higher power because that's what I do. I trust my higher power. You know, the next 10 years was a dream. We had great, I had great things happening. And, um, and then my youngest daughter, Nicole, came to live with us and um, bought her six-month-old baby. And when he was a week after he turned two, she had a serious crash and she had a catastrophic brain injury and she was 21. And, um, and, it's, and it was devastating. I was, in, um, a terrible, I was in a terrible state. My family was. Nikki was in um, ICU for a month and then in a vegetative state for three months. And then, you know, we had to move house at that time. I had members coming in and packing the boxes to move so we could move to the next house. You know, I'd get up in the morning and I'd just wear black. Oh, well, I'm wearing black now. Because I, <laughs> I didn't have to make a decision on what I wore. I couldn't meditate. I couldn't pray. I couldn't go to meetings. I couldn't read. I couldn't listen to music because the white noise was so loud. The trauma was so strong and hard. And I thought, how am I going to get through this? And then AA came to me, you know. The sponsees, the people that I did 12-step work with, I had a connection with, and they supported me. When they said, do you want help, I said yes. There's this, you know, we're very fortunate we can do these presentations. We do them a lot, and we do them in a, a rehab every week. And all through this... You know, all through going to the hospital and doing the things that we had to do. You know, David would say, we're going to, the, we're going to Malden on Thursday. I'd go, can't, can't, can't. <laughs> and then go, you know, and then go. And, um, and there's, I remember this one time and I'm just exhausted and just full of, just despair, you know. I... Yeah, it's such a sad time to see your children so sick and see your child so unwell and knowing that she was not going to get much better. She never walked or talked again. And um, it was about six months, we were in this new house and I remember being in the bath and, and it was just so... Um, <clears throat> my heart was bleeding and I was just so sad and I let the water out of the bath and I'm just sitting there and so vulnerable and so broken and then someone went we have to go to Malvern tonight <laughs> and I get up and I go and I share my truth and I share my story. And when all else fails, carrying the message to another alcoholics, to any alcoholic and, or a sick and suffering alcoholic, 
will always keep me sober. So be brave. Be greater than you are. And be, you know, you've got the gift. You've got to give the gift to, to give this away. And I don't always like life. As we heard, you know, life changes and life can be really tough sometimes and, and life is there. But I love being sober. Thank you for letting me share. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au. Thanks for letting us share.